From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So we're right in the middle of the NBA playoffs, and, and I'm not an analyst. I'm no Bill Walton here, but when you shoot one for 34 from the floor, that's not working out really well. That's that's a dry spell, and you should probably uh, get out the uh, get out the whiteboard and figure out a different strategy than going one for thirty four. But that is kind of the unenviable situation that the State Department of Education finds itself in, in terms of complying with uh, and carrying out a plan to comply with the new federal education law. Clark, you broke down where the state is falling short, and it's really pretty much everywhere. Walk us through what you and Randy Schrader put together and reported this week. Sure. This all goes back to Idaho's plan to comply with the federal Every Student Succeeds Act. That's the No Child Left Behind replacement. Mm -hmm. We covered that a lot when Idaho was developing its plan Really, in 2017 is when a lot of that work was done. Uh, The new accountability plan was part of that ESA compliance plan. An application for federal funding was in there. They also included a number of long-term goals for education that Idaho officials developed. And I think that's an important bit of context. These goals and these interim targets that we're about to talk about, these weren't something that the feds mandated. Yes, they wanted ambitious goals, and yes, the state was called on to close achievement gaps, particularly as it relates uh, to student subgroups and and, and different groups of students. But these were goals that were very much developed by officials from the State Department of Education, and then they consulted with, we call them the education stakeholders, but the education advocacy groups and educators. What are we talking about when we talk about these goals that I wrote about Idaho set a series of goals that it wants to reach by the year 2022. And, and a lot of... here's where we get through the 34 yeah. benchmarks now. <laughs> and here's where we get to the 34 benchmarks. Um, in order to stay on track to meet those goals by 2022, Idaho set up yearly benchmarks. I think they're called interim targets is mm-hmm. the language uh, used in education circles. But there were 34 interim targets one year out that we looked at. And what we did was we went back to the old ESSA report to double-check what the goals were, and then we used the State Department of Education's new online report cards um, that they launched earlier this school year. Um, And we cross-referenced the data to see how Idaho did. Randy Schrader, our data analyst and records specialist, did a lot of heavy lifting and research originally uh, on this piece. And what he found, what we found, is that Idaho made just one of the 34 interim targets. And um, the targets all had to do with achievement in standardized tests for math and English language arts as well as graduation rates. Mm -hmm. Idaho missed every one of those interim benchmarks except for one that had to do with English English language language proficiency. And so... And and we show our work. In in the article, which came out uh, a couple of days ago, at the very bottom, you can click on a spreadsheet that shows each of the goals. Uh, It shows what the 2018 goal was, and then it shows what the actual result was in 2018. So you can can see our our work, you can see our spreadsheet, and see how close Idaho was to the goals. But the thing that we were talking about just before we turned the microphone on today is... The interim targets are just that. The actual goals come due in 2022. And so we're really looking ahead here. There is time to recover and to hit the goals by 2022. But as you and I talked about... You're playing catch-up. We're playing catch-up because Idaho didn't make the first-year benchmarks. 
they would have that much more work to do in order to reach the goals by 2022. Right. I mean, the, the crude analogy that we talked about before we went on air that I think is probably as, as easy a way to illustrate it as any that I can think of uh, you know, off the top of my head is, let's say you're trying to save $30,000 over five years for a down payment on a house. So you're setting a goal of, okay, I want to save 6000 a year for five years. But if that first year, you know, something goes wrong, you don't get $6,000 saved, you save 2000 well, you're, you're, you're that much further behind right. to try to hit your goal for year two, year three, year four, year five. That's kind of the predicament the state is in right now, correct? That's exactly right, because the way we set up the interim targets was we took the baseline of achievement for what it was the year that we were setting up the ESA plan. That's our baseline. And then we have our end goal for 2022, and we divided up the interim targets uh, proportionally as the dif mm -hmm. the distance, the difference between the two. So it's an incremental step each each point of the way. So yeah, we're we're already behind. We, we could make up ground and, and hit uh, those goals by 2022, but already behind and, and have more work to do uh, at, at this point than and, before. And, and behind in areas, as you mentioned in the story, like graduation rates, and we've written about the improvement in the graduation rates. That's right. But even with that improvement in graduation rates, you're, you're not at the benchmark. You're not at the year one benchmark, even with the improvements we saw last year. That's exactly right. Um, the new graduation rate, the high school graduation rate, uh, was up. It passed 80% uh, this year. It was about 80.6%. And that was something that was news when it came out. But the ESSA goal was 84.8%, almost 85%. And so well short of that, even with the improvement. And it's important to point out that some schools and some districts across the state did meet and exceed the goals, but sure. these are statewide goals. And as we talked about, these were goals developed by Idahoans, by the Idaho State Department of Education. In 2017, Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra uh, signed off on the ESSA plan. So did then President of the State Board of Education, Dr. Linda Clark, as well as former Governor Butch Otter. So these were very much Idaho's plans and Idaho's goals, as opposed right. to the feds saying, you need to hit each each one of these benchmarks right. no matter what. Right. I mean, this is not one of those days where it's appropriate to bang on the federal government and say the, they're coming in with these top-down mandates and these unrealistic goals. I mean, these were goals that were set at the state level. But let's spin this ahead a little bit, though, and talk about that relationship between the feds and the state. And what what does this mean down the road? Let's fast forward this to 2022. And if Idaho is is falling short on a number of these benchmarks or, you know, 33 out of the 34 benchmarks, what does it mean? What are the implications down the road for the state if that happens? In terms of the federal government, it's a little bit unclear. I talked with um, Carlin Laraway, the State Department of Education's Director of Assessment and Accountability, and she said they're still really waiting for guidance from the federal government. As we stand right now with the interim targets, uh, there's no sanctions or consequences or anything like that for not meeting the interim target. There's no new report to file. There's no annual update or anything like that. But as we talked about, uh, 2022 is a little bit of ways down the road. We don't know who's going to be president. We don't know who's going to be Education heading up the Secretary. U.S. Department of Education. As our Sammy Edge reported a couple of weeks ago, even if President Trump would be reelected, uh, Betsy DeVos has said she's not sure that she would continue on for another term as Secretary of Education. So we don't, we don't really know. It's not really clear. It would be 
you know, it, it would be frustrating and it would be discouraging if we fell short of the goals, but I don't know what the federal government has in mind, if there would be a turnaround planned or consequences or additional support. Withholding of federal funding or reallocating federal funding into different areas to Not really clear at this point. Who knows? Who knows? And 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 I do want to be clear that with the ESSA law, the Every Student Succeeds Act, that was really the federal government passing on a lot of control and oversight of education away from the feds and towards the state. Uh, And so this is a plan to comply with that law, but a lot of the autonomy and oversight was given back to the state with the ESSA law. And so it sort of remains to be seen uh, what would happen. But the goals, you know, I I talked with a couple of people at the State Department of Education. They said they wanted to be ambitious goals. They wanted to cut down achievement gaps. They wanted to increase student achievement. But they also wanted them to be realistic and they wanted them to be able to be accomplished. And that's something I went back to from the development of the plan. Uh, I covered a couple of meetings in 2017 where Representative Ryan Kirby, who's now the vice chairman of the House Education Committee, was very skeptical about these goals when they were being talked about in 2017. He said, the thing I haven't heard is a clear plan to accomplishing the goals. We've set our goals. We've identified the goals. I haven't heard one thing about how we will get there. Uh, Rob Winslow uh, from the uh, Association of School Administrators also had similar concerns back in 2017. And so... I don't know what's going to happen uh, if, if we go forward. I, I know that uh, Carlin Laraway from the State Department of Education said, at this point, we're not concerned. We want to continue to support our schools and work towards these goals. We want to help them out as much as possible. Um, so I don't know, but it's something that we're going to keep an eye on because seemingly these were meaningful, important goals at mm-hmm. the time uh, that were a lot of thought was put into them. They were talked about among the education groups. There was this big, long plan that was two years in the development. So they didn't come from nowhere. They value on their own merits. I mean, the idea of improving the high school graduation rate, well, nobody can argue with the, with the importance of that or the right. value of that. So, you know, these didn't come out of thin air. They're not goals for the sake of goals. Right, yeah. And so I think that's why they're important. If you want to find out a little bit more about it, you can head back uh, to Wednesday uh, to catch my coverage talking about the uh, – the 33 of the 34 interim targets. You can also download the spreadsheet. You can also, we also link back to the original ESSA plan if you want to read that. So there's a lot of information there. We link back to some of the public comment and some of the concerns from 2017. Uh, so tried to put the context in there uh, along with just the fact that, you know, we've fallen short at this point. So uh, head over to the homepage at idahoednews.org and, and check that out if you're curious or if you want to find out a little bit more about it. And definitely something we'll track uh, going forward yeah. as we get closer to the For sure. target dates. For sure. I want to switch gears, Kevin, and, and talk about some under-the-radar elections. Uh, I think it was 17 school districts across the state right. had elections this week on Tuesday. You offered up a preview last week, and you tracked the results Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. What did you find? Well, a couple things jumped out at me. So as you mentioned, 17 school districts with with either bond issues or levies Mm -hmm. of one form or another, 14 of the 17 ballot measures did pass. All of the supplemental levies that were on the ballot, which uh, we talk about all the time as what's become a very essential piece of the funding puzzle for a lot of school districts, all of the supplemental levy proposals, they they passed. 
one of the plant facilities levies passed. Another one in Swan Valley uh, failed spectacularly. They only got uh, 15% support Ooh. over there when they needed 55%. So, you know, a rough night in Swan Valley. The two bond issues that were on the ballot, uh, both of those failed. And what's significant to me about that is uh, the biggest uh, bond issue uh, on the ballot Tuesday, uh, Minidoka County over in the Magic Valley, trying again for a $21 million bond issue. Identical proposal to one that they had on the ballot in March, failed again. This time failed, only received 54% support. Remember, bond issues need two-thirds yep. of majorities to pass. Majority. 54 Fifty-four percent this time around, compared to sixty-two percent back in March. So uh, it'll be interesting now to see what Minidoka County does moving forward. That was not the only repeat issue on the ballot on Tuesday. I'm talking again about those supplemental levies. Uh, West Bonner County in St. Mary's, a couple of districts in North Idaho, took another run at uh, passing a supplemental levy, identical amount that they had sought in March. Both times. These levies passed on Tuesday. So uh, definitely a sigh of relief for administrators in those two districts. Uh, that funding is in place uh, going forward now for the next couple of years. A couple of close calls on the supplemental levies. We have all of the results if you want to kind of catch up and see what happened around the state. As you say, kind of under the radar because not a lot of big districts and really no big district had anything on the ballot this time around. Mostly uh, smaller districts, rural districts, you know, Minidoka County I mentioned Emmett. So we've got the roundup uh, of what happened on Tuesday, and uh, you can see um, see what the results are in your neck of the woods. Yeah, like you said, a couple things to keep in mind. Certainly the higher threshold for approval uh, on the bond issue, uh, that's an issue that comes up every year. But the supplementals, like you said, for a lot of districts, there's nothing supplemental about that uh, in this day and age when they use it for teacher salaries, for health care benefits, for programming, for school resource officers, for any number, um, any number of uses, there are a lot of superintendents I talk to. I uh, think that's essential funding at this point, not supplemental. A, a district I was watching closely, they did get their supplemental levy passed. Mountain View, which is up in yeah, north central yeah. Idaho, this is a district facing a lot of challenges right now. They've got uh, a potential shortfall, even with the passage of a supplemental levy. They've got some financial straits really bitter uh, contract negotiation process that's been going on for well over a year. Teachers worked this year without a master agreement in place, uh, still trying to work out uh, terms uh, going forward. Uh, there have been a couple of lawsuits, uh, pretty acrimonious negotiations. And there's a district that uh, received a pretty good chunk of federal funding from the, uh, the Secure Rural Schools program that I wrote about a few uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mountain View's got a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. They did get their supplemental levy through. Uh, had that failed, uh, the district would have been facing even more uh, funding challenges, uh, more uh, budgetary challenges. So anyway, you can get all the rundown of what happened on Tuesday. We've got that all at our website. Yep, absolutely. Uh, thanks for that. Head over to the homepage, idahoednews.org, if you want to find out what happened in your district or in neighboring communities. Let's uh, talk about uh, a story that broke on Friday uh, after we recorded last week's podcast, but one that I think is worth going back to to catch up on. 
pretty uh, significant departure in the uh, State Department of Education. You had the story. Uh, get us caught up. Yeah, Matt McCarter, who was sort of uh, one of the point persons for school safety over the last couple of years in Idaho, is leaving his position with the State Department of Education uh, at the end of this month. He's uh, served for about 12 years at the State Department under a couple of different superintendents and worn a lot of different hats, really visible role in the policy area that we follow closely. But yeah, Matt McCarter, his official title was Director of Student Engagement and Career Technical Readiness. But he wore a lot of hats. He announced he's leaving, uh, leaving voluntarily, taking a position at the YMCA of Treasure Valley. And um, But he's someone that we've seen play a prominent role in a lot of policy areas, particularly under Superintendent Ibarra, but certainly going back to uh, former school superintendent Tom Luna as well. Right. He's a holdover from the the Luna administration and really to a large degree was the public face of the uh, state superintendent Ibarra's uh, school safety plan, the uh, Keep Idaho Students Safe Mm -hmm. plan. He was kind of the, the point person on that, among other things. I mean, that was not the you know, his entire job, but that was a big part of his job and a big part of his public uh, presence the past year or so. Yeah, it was. We saw him leading webinars for education groups and educators. We've seen him brief lawmakers. He delivered key sections of the uh, post-legislative session roadshow that Superintendent Ibarra and the SDE lead every year, uh, testifies before committees, briefs lawmakers, does interviews uh, with the media, kind of really in the center of the uh, policy development in a lot of key areas for the State Department of Education. A lot of experience there. And so uh, it was a fairly popular story. I think a lot of people have have Mm -hmm. seen Matt or worked with him or followed his work over the years. And certainly uh, school safety was a very prominent, uh, high-profile debate over the last couple of years. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra rolled out an ambitious $20-plus million proposal for her KISS plan uh, but because of the timing of the rollout, because of the rollout itself, because of the revenue situation with the state, um, that did not move forward uh, at all, this most recent legislative session. And so that was a very high-profile, very prominent program and rollout that a lot of people uh, were watching over the last couple of years. So uh, it means sure. now that Ibarra, if she wants to try to uh, take another on a, a school safety plan, which she has said she wants to do, mm-hmm. yep. she's going to have to do a reboot of the plan and she's going to have a new person in charge at playing point on that issue. So we'll watch closely to see what the new plan looks like and who the new person you know, front and center on this issue turns out to be. If it's a new hire, if it's a, a change from within the department. Something well, something else to, to watch. Yep. Uh, another uh, fairly prominent uh, shakeup in the, in the department. Yep. And, and the SDE, the Superintendent Ebar, has signaled that they are searching uh, for a replacement I don't know, like you said, if it will be out of house or in house, uh, but they are looking to uh, replace the position they called those key areas for the State Department of Education. So uh, we'll watch that. We'll introduce you to uh, the new person or talk about the changes in leadership as it happens perhaps uh, this summer. You can catch that story. It was Friday last week, but it talked about a longtime SDE official. Yeah, 12 years in the department, so a good deal of institutional memory walking out the door uh, when McCarter leaves. For sure. Um, You can catch that at the homepage. One other big story I wanted to talk about, a very thoughtful feature you did about Marion Pritchett um, and their graduation and their program kind of reflecting on 
the difference it made for these students, for these young parents that are in the program now and looking ahead uh, to the future of that program. Uh, we teased it last week. It came out at the beginning of this week, but you spent a lot of time at Marion Pritchett and talked to a lot of their students and educators, but um, just kind of walk me through the, the story and, and what you found out. I wanted to take a closer look at Marion Pritchett High School this year because it is in such a transition. This is a school that has been in Boise's North End for 55 years. And if you didn't know where it was, you could almost miss it because it's tucked away in this residential neighborhood. And it's an extension of a partnership between the Boise School District and the Salvation Army for almost a century, uh, trying to provide help for young mothers, for, you know, for students who have either had a child or are expecting a child. Right. And the Marion Pritchett School has served uh, young mothers or young mothers-to-be since 1964 at, at this location. Two big things are happening right now. First of all, the school is moving. Uh, they're leaving the North End. They're moving to a location. It's in West Boise. It's, uh, now, if you don't spend a lot of time in Boise, it's in this sort of commercial hub. It's uh, a little bit west of the Boise Town Square Mall. So it's right in the middle of, you know, you know commercial Boise as opposed to residential uh, quaint North End. And part of the hope is, and it's a bigger facility, uh, there will be more classroom space, there will be uh, a new gymnasium, there will be a larger daycare center, there will be a, a gymnasium, uh, all, all sorts of amenities that they, the, the district hasn't been able to offer in the past. They're also hoping that this new facility will enable parents, uh, young parents and, and parents-to-be to come to the school, even if they live outside of Boise. It's right. an open enrollment yep. school, as, as Boise does with a lot of its schools. The catch is you've got to get there yourself. You've got to figure out a transportation plan yourself if you live outside of the district. And you found that was an issue for some of the prospective yes, students. Yes, yeah. When I talked to uh, Deborah Hedden Nicely, who's the head teacher, she said, you know, about two-thirds of the, of the people, of the students who expressed an interest in coming to Marion Pritchett last year, they never followed through because they couldn't figure out how to get there. I mean, it, it is kind of in this residential neighborhood, like I say, um, pretty hard to get there by bus, especially if you're carrying. If down. you've gotten an infant, if you've gotten an infant, yeah. it's it's almost impossible. So, the hope is that with with this new location that is near uh, bus lines, that you know is you know closer to Meridian and Nampa, that maybe you'll see more students showing up because enrollment has been dropping, which leads us to the second big change that's happening at Mary and Pritchett, a move away from more face-to-face -face learning, uh, fewer teachers will be on staff next year, and the school will shift to a hybrid model of learning, which means that students are going to be taking classes online, but in a classroom setting. So it's not quite a virtual education setting, but it is a, it's more computer-based, online-based learning than, than they have going on right now. And as I talk to some of the graduates, and they're, they're really, they're, they're so interesting to talk to. They, they, they really have, you know, gone through a, a big change in their life. They're going through a big transformation as, you know, as high school graduates and parents. Um, and, and I talked to some of them about, well, how do you think this is going to work? They raised concerns. They said, you know, look, I've taken virtual classes before. I've struggled with them. I've done better in a face-to-face -face setting. I mean, that was kind of the, the message that I heard from, from a couple of the graduates. It seemed like there's a little more accountability for some of those students in the face-to-face -face setting. They talked about, like you said, struggling before, getting to Marion Pritchett, 
and thriving. There's accountability. There's also flexibility. Yep. And that kind of came through over and over in the interviews. It came, came through over and over at the graduation ceremony. The, the students really talking about this personalized approach that you have when, when you're in a small class where teachers are, are really taking a close personal view of how you're doing, which is what you get in such a small high school. I mean, we're talking about a graduating class of six. If this wasn't in Boise, this would be a rural high school, yeah. I mean, a very yeah, small yeah. graduating class. The students talk about how important it is for them to have teachers who understand what they're going through as students, as parents, as parents-to-be. Um, one of them spoke about, look, my teachers have not let me slack off in terms of my work, but they can tell when I'm tired. They can tell when I'm you know, dragging, and they'll figure out ways to make the learning more interactive, more engaged than yep. me sitting in front of a textbook or, in this case, sitting in front of a computer. And that, that really hit home to me because anybody who's ever had a baby, who's ever had a baby uh, in their lives knows, you know, sleep deprivation is just part of the equation. You know, and it kind of makes you wonder how will hours and hours of kind of self-guided online learning work for, for new parents who are going through Sleep deprivation, maybe going through a postpartum depression. These are these are serious, you know, considerations. So really hard to tell how this is all going to play itself out. But um, one of the things that was really moving was being able to sit in on the graduation ceremony and, and get kind of the sense of you know, it was really a definite sense of community. It was such a small class of students all going through this shared experience, this mutual experience, life changing experience of parenthood. And, you know, the camaraderie, which, you know, you see it in every high school graduating class, it seems a little bit more pronounced when you have such a small class. And one of the things that really also jumped out, six graduates, uh, five were at the ceremony, one missed the ceremony because uh, she was in bed rest, because she was a few days away from when they figured, expect that she was going to uh, uh, deliver her child. Five of the six graduates are going on to uh, College of Western Idaho. So that's an 83% go-on rate. Very small sample size, but an at-risk community with uh, five of the six students going on to college. Uh, they're, they're looking at nursing. They're looking at, uh, I think one is looking at accounting. One is talking about pre-law. I mean, these, these are kids who are, you know, who have been through a big change in their lives, but are really looking, you know, down the road of, you know, where they're going to go from here and have, have plans for the future, you know, plans that involve their own future, but also obviously involves, you know, you know, you know charting a path and charting a future for their, for their young ones. These are some of the favorite stories that we, my favorite stories that we get to do at Idaho Ed News. It's obvious when you read this story that you spent a lot of time with it and, and wrote it with a lot of care in mind, but to go out and I enjoy talking about the policy. I enjoy looking at some of the bigger picture stuff. But when we actually get to go out into a school and connect with students and connect with educators and really get a sense of what is their education experience like? What are the challenges they're facing? What are the things they're proud about? What means the most to them? That's really powerful stuff. And I love it when we get a chance to do that at Idaho Ed News. And so I would recommend everybody check this out. You spent a couple of weeks yes. on this story really well written, really thoughtfully done. Uh, and you used the students' voices in a powerful way to shape and tell the story. And, and I thought that was one of the coolest things about it. So thanks yeah, for investing the time. Stories. I mean, it was, it's easy to tell a story when it's that compelling and when, when people are that open and willing to, to share their experiences. 
And one other thing, uh, do take the time to look at the photo gallery that yeah. Sammy Edge put together. She uh, spent some time with the kids uh, on graduation day and at the graduation ceremony. The photos are, are just, they're, they're lovely, and, and they really help tell the story. So hope you'll take some time in, in the next few days, long weekend. It's a long story, So and, and we've got quite a few photos. There's a lot there to digest, but um, you know, hopefully uh, you can carve out some time for it, and hopefully you'll find it worth the time. It, it's a great story, and it's worth the time. Um, very topical, a huge moment for those for those young people, but but well done, and, and I appreciate that. That's over at the homepage at idahoednews.org. Um, those are some of the big stories I wanted to get to. We have several other things on the site, though. It was a busy, busy, busy week. Yes. Um, You've got, you got the latest on the, uh, the process of trying to reenact, repeal, uh, review administrative rules. You get the latest from the governor's office, uh, governor's staff, hard at work on the rules process in between making phone calls to strong arm Garth Brooks into adding a concert in Boise. You know, you know, the, the, the governor's office got a lot on their plate, including this uh, you know, extremely time consuming uh, job of administrative rules. We've got the latest on that. Uh, you had some information about the Master Educator Premium, which is really a salary incentive designed to reward our most experienced and most successful educators. Uh, that program where we can apply launched uh, this week. You've got some instructions on how to do it, some information about how to go about applying for the portfolio. And, and I heard from a couple of educators mm -hmm. during the yeah. week who had questions about how this works, where to apply, how do I apply, right. how do I navigate this site. We did our best to try to make that make sense to the best of our ability. So uh, you go to our website and read the story and get a sense of, A, how to apply. If you're a veteran teacher and you're trying to put together a portfolio, you have about a month to do it. Yep. The deadline is June 30th. It's not a hard and fast deadline. But we kind of walk you through the process and what to expect and, and you know, how this is going to play out in the months to come. So uh, that's all at the site. I've heard from a lot of veteran teachers who are really keeping a close eye on this, how it's going to work, what it's going to be like to apply, um, how many of these premiums will be awarded. I know the state officials are watching this closely, so that's a big program. Our Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, also has the latest on the latest development for those embattled Blackfoot Charter Schools. It's always something over there. This has to do with the facility yeah. uh, and the Planning and Zoning Commission out in Bingham County, out in the Blackfoot area. Um, an interesting wrinkle there. Devin Bodkin has been all over that story uh, seemingly for a year or more at this point. And, and you know, it's it's kind of a an illustration of the bigger issue of charter facilities. I mean, this is, you know, a district, that's, I mean, a charter that's a couple of charters that uh -huh. face yeah. a lot of... Uh, questions about finances and accounting, but here you're talking about the facility, where do you shoehorn education into facilities? And this is a, a, a dispute that seems to go back uh, quite some time that seems to be coming to a head. And this is a big issue that hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of publicity, but I've heard rumblings about this when I talked with some of the uh, Office of School Safety and Security folks last year, particularly about charters opening in facilities. They wanted they wanted a lot more thought and care into where charters open these facilities, not opening in a strip mall, not opening in an abandoned movie theater, not opening next to a car dealership. They want something that's going to be safe and secure for students to allow buses, to not have 
random members of the public walking across your campus or across your property. It's a little bit more like a neighborhood school campus. Yeah. Like we've, like we've become accustomed to So I to think we'll it. hear more of this, not just necessarily as it relates to Blackfoot Charter, but the overall facilities issue. I, I, I think we'll hear more of this um, going forward. So I don't think this will go anywhere. No. No, we'll keep an eye on it. As a reminder, starting next week, uh, things are going to change a little bit around the Extra Credit Podcast for the next five weeks. Um, I'm heading to the mountains. I'm going to be gone for three weeks. And so, Kevin... That's a bit of an understatement, heading to the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm flying to Nepal and, and going to be hiking in the Himalayas and hopefully uh, hiking to the Mount Everest base camp. We'll see how everything goes. Which is like elevation what? I mean, 17,500 feet. Yeah, that's, 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 high. <laughs> that's up there. So we'll need the weather to cooperate. Um, hopefully I'm feeling good and strong and can make it all the way, but that's the plan. I'll be there for almost three weeks. I'm super excited about it. I hope I can talk a little bit about my adventures uh, when we get back. Uh, I hope they go well. Uh, so you'll have some guest hosts lined up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about that now, and then you have an exciting trip. Right when I get back, you're heading out the door. So. Yeah, so... so. Trip first. I will be leaving uh, mid-June for a couple of weeks. It'll be my first chance to go to Europe. I'm going to uh, Belgium and France, my wife and I. It's a tour with uh, some some singers, uh, some Boise area choirs. Uh, we're going to do a couple of performances in Europe. We're going to debut uh, local composer, wonderful composer Paul Aiken uh, is going to debut a couple of his works in Europe. Um, just you know, honored to try to help do justice to this uh, this this guy's uh, guy's compositions they're 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 tremendous and it's obviously it's going to be an opportunity to see uh, see Belgium and France so we're really looking forward to that but first things first and to kind of get you caught up on what to expect here in the weeks ahead yes we're going to have some guests uh, lined up our hope next week is that we'll have Greg Wilson uh, Governor Little's uh, point person on education his advisor on education to get us caught up on this rules process. And, and the Garth cast. Brooks concert. Right, and, and <laughs> we'll, we'll see if there's any Garth Brooks backstory to be had. But lots of education topics to talk about, too. Right. Uh, and more guests to come. So we will uh, keep you apprised of that as the weeks unfold. It's only five weeks. It's not the Eagles taking that 14-year <laughs> vacation that they talked about. It's only five weeks, and the Extra Credit Podcast will still be here every Friday. So... You know, we'll be here for your listening pleasure. It's just going to sound a little bit different. And, and you know, with some guests, we'll have a little bit different perspective. It's going to be fun. I think it should be fun. I think it's going to be really cool. I've got a plane to catch in the morning. I might see you in mid-June for a couple of days. I might not really see you till July 4th, though. Uh, and I think that's going to be roughly just before that's going to be the time period when we'll be back together. Yes. Um, to hopefully talk about our summers and some of our adventures it's going to be a busy summer with education, though. The task force, the rules reauthorization process, the new rules uh, connected to House Bill 293, the funding formula definitions and reporting requirements bill. It's going to be a busy summer. Negotiation um, season wrapping up in June. That's something we'll be watching in the weeks to come. So, you know, some, some travel, some pleasure, but also a lot of business to take care of. All right. Stay tuned. Uh, we always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast breaking down this intersection of policy and politics. Kevin will be back next week with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast that you won't want to miss. In the meantime, I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Travel safe, Clark. Good luck on your adventure. And we will be back for another special, well, not special. Well, they're always special. We'll be back next week. <laughs>